Welcome to Long Story Short Podcast, the audio show that invites ordinary people to tell their stories of an extraordinary God who shows up in their hopes, dreams, disappointments, and victories. Turn over the pages of your own story and discover who the real hero is. When God comes and visits us, we just need to be ready with hearts, ready to do whatever it takes to get right with Him. revival spreads wide that would also go deep and that it won't be just an experience but we will have changed lives welcome back to long story short podcast my name is Brent and I'm here with my wife Lisa and we're so glad to have you back for part two of Road Trip to Revival. We've heard from a few listeners wondering when this episode would air so they could hear the conclusion of Jewel's story. In part one, Jewel talked about how she responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to learn about revival. She told us how God changed the subject for a campus recruitment visit at Wheaton College. When we left off, there was mystery and excitement for what God might do. The question we posed in part one was, have you ever felt like God left you hanging in mystery, even when you believed he was there? Initially, that might sound a bit unbiblical, since we know God promises never to leave us. But stop and think of all the examples in the Bible of people who were prompted by God to take action, even when he didn't provide the entire script ahead of time. Recall Abraham, Joseph, John the Baptist. The list goes on and on. Now you're about to hear Jewel sharing how God led her to do some things that didn't quite make sense at the time. It wasn't until much later that he revealed how those actions would prepare her for what was ahead. Jewel's story inspires us at two levels. One, when prompted by the Holy Spirit, we want to step out boldly in faith, not waiting for all the answers to unfold. And number two, when revival comes, it isn't necessarily a spectacle, but more likely a somber, deep work of the Holy Spirit within his people. What do you think about revival? What do you expect? Let's tune in with Jewel and see how her experience at Wheaton informed her expectations. 
this was early in de December, uh, excuse me, January and February. Well, we were doing recruiting for Campus Crusade at that time when we were assigned to go to Wheaton College and recruit there for our high school ministry. On the way there, um, I told Brian, I said, we're not supposed to talk about ministry. We're supposed to talk about revival. And he was sort of like frustrated again. Well, Crusade is paying for a trip. Can't we at least mention their name? Well, so we just left it at that and just, I just silently prayed. But we switched with cars with the other couple that were driving there with us and switched partners in the cars. And um, the, the man told Brian, by the way, we're not gonna be able to share tonight on Campus Crusade like we thought. There's a couple of students coming from Brownwood, Texas, and they're gonna share about revival. Wow, that became apparent to Brian then and when he told me later that maybe I was hearing something from God and maybe God was getting ready to do something. We got to their World Christian Fellowship service. It was a Sunday evening. There were about 480 students there in the Pierce Chapel. There was enthusiastic, powerful singing, but there was also a tension, both an anticipation knowing that God, they wanted God to do a work and yet not wanting God to do a work because who wants something so out of control, something unpredictable, something so penetrating and deep. I remember hearing that we got there early and were able to, that elderly woman and I were able to pray around the chapel and um, and then it was time to start. And I heard the guy whisper behind me, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. And I was filled with hope and prayer and faith. And I was also filled with doubt. And I even thought, just because you think God's going to do it doesn't mean he's going to. Well, Brandy McGuire from Texas was one of the students that had came, come to speak. And she talked about how people in church in January of that year had just started weeping, and even the children were stilled and awed. And then the next weekend from their church, they, they went to, she was a student at Howard Payne University, and they were on a retreat. And she said, you know, I thought I was a good Christian girl. I thought I prayed well. But y'all, she said with her Texan accent, we were on our faces weeping for the weight of our sins for three and four hours asking God to, to do a work in us. And so that's a point about revival. Many people say, man, this world is bad. It needs revival. But ultimately, revival is, God, I need you. I need you. She went on to tell more stories. For example, um, it began spreading. And she was working with some seventh graders at that time, just imagine, 30 of them. And they had decided to commit to fast and pray every lunch period until their friends could come to know the Lord. And you know, the people that were least likely to come to know Jesus were coming to Christ. God was at work. And it was really through the story of people just saying, 
we need to get right with God. There was one place in a church where a guy, excuse me, a girl shared about how she had hated her brother for what the things he had done to their family. And a short time later, the mom shared the same thing and just asked for people to pray. And the group gathered around them to pray. And what do you know, this guy, this their son and brother that they hadn't seen in years had been driving around. And he could not help but come and enter the church. He came in right as they were praying. The prodigal had come home. Man, at this point, Brandy said to all of us there at Wheaton, this is real. God is doing something. Another guy also shared about his issues with pride and lust and how he had seen as a senior at his college, he was so cynical when even a freshman said, are you trusting God for revival when they had these planned meetings? And he's like, you pray. God's never going to come here. But how he, too, had come to a place where he recognized he had been doing ministry in his own strength. And it was all about him. And his competitive nature overtook even his own quiet time, even though he was doing ministry. And so as he shared these things, there was tension in the room with all of us sitting in that chapel. Well, a couple of the leaders there said that they had made microphones available if anybody wanted to share. They were not going to manipulate. They weren't trying to recreate anything. But they were also expecting God to do something. So there's kind of a silence. A few people shared, confessed their sins, and some other people to go up and pray around them because that's what they had seen was that the healing comes through confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person will accomplish much from James 5. But there was still this tension. A couple of guys shared about lust and pride as well. And then at that point, any of the men in here who struggle with these particular issues, please come forward. And you know, I didn't look up because I didn't need to. It was like God pushed an evacuation button and seats all around us, thrusting young men to go up front to confess the one thing I'm sure that they least wanted to say. And they swarmed to the front. And at the same time, instantaneously, women all over the place were crying out, great sobs. God had pierced the stronghold of the enemy. And my husband described it, it was like angels crying for conviction for God's people of their sin, but the joy of bringing it to light. And we were crying too. And so again, other people gathered around them to pray. And what began from there is people began to stand in line to talk in those microphones, to say the one thing that they least wanted to say in front of their peers and their few faculty and, and everyone. But many of them described that their chests were going to explode if they didn't get right with God publicly. 
one guy got up and said, I'm from, he was from Indonesia, and he said, I've been praying for a long time now through the directory. I've been praying for all of us by name. Many times as the people surrounded them, the person in the middle would be just sobbing, and the other people would, maybe all of them would be praying at the same time. And then 20 minutes later, that person in the middle would just come just radiant with the cleansing power of God. And God's presence in the room was so real, so profound, so dominant, and yet the whole situation was very calm, very orderly. And in fact, one of the uh, professors had said that he had prayed that if God came to visit, it would be done in such a way that no one could claim that, that it was just an emotional experience. People, this isn't an emotional experience. All the well, emotions are involved. This is a time when God says, I love you. And I want to be intimate with you again. And I hate the stuff that's keeping us from each other. And people responding in such a way that it's not just a personal renewal, it's corporate. So they were standing alongside of the chapel wall, sometimes waiting for an hour or even two hours to say. And each time, it was only confessing their sin. In fact, they had reminded us at the beginning, this is what God's Spirit is doing. Don't use this opportunity to preach. Um, don't confess anyone else's sins or anything that could hurt somebody else. Keep it brief. And they did. For the most part, people really honored that request. Others started coming in because the meeting that started at 7.30 was still going and it was like 11 o'clock. They were trying to figure out where their roommates were or maybe their roommates had gone back and told them the story. And sometimes they came in out of, out of curiosity or skeptic. But again, when they walked in, there was such a surreal, profound presence of God. And there were all kinds of things being confessed. Racism from both whites and blacks and Asian Americans. But wow, how profound to extend forgiveness and to ask for forgiveness. Perfectionism, addictions of all kinds, sexual sins of all kinds, bitterness, drunkenness, stealing, vanity, jealousy, guilt, materialism. Some girls shared maybe for the first time that they had been raped, not that that had been a sin on their part, but they'd never told anyone. And so they'd built walls around themselves. And frequently, as we were sitting there, we're just guests, no one knew who we were, but we talk, spoke with the leaders and they gave us permission. At that time, we were also affiliated with Freedom in Christ Ministries, which we now work with. And because God had already done a work in our heart by going through a tool called the Seven Steps to Freedom in Christ to confess our own personal sins to other people, another person, for the purpose of breaking strongholds. We had really done a lot of our business, and so we were freed to just pray with the people. We had the people in our lives that we could be real with, 
I was willing to get up if God prompted me to, but he didn't prompt me to. But we did get permission from the leaders to, to just be available to the students. And so frequently with these young girls that had been sexually abused in some way, my husband would kindly, gently go up to them and, and just say, thank you so much for sharing that, and I'm praying for you. And may I ask, have you really fully forgiven the offender? And sometimes they had, and sometimes they really hadn't let go of all of that bitterness or the insecurity from that or the lies they believed about themselves, that they were dirty or unclean. And so then he would escort them over to me, and I would give them an opportunity to go through this tool called the Steps to Freedom in Christ, to renounce those lies, to recognize where they had been deceived, and to replace them with truth. Well, the confession went on all night, and do I think Wheaton was a bad college? Absolutely not. You take any church, any Christian gathering, and you could find the same kind of sins there today as well as then. And we began to see, as you'll hear in a few moments, how God began to take the fire seeds from Texas to Wheaton, to other places, to youth groups, to other colleges back to Minnesota, where we were from, to Colorado and beyond. So all through the night that went on, with sometimes interspersed with worship. And at six o'clock, they tried to kind of close it down, but people wouldn't let them. But about six o'clock, we were wiped out and there was still a line. And so they said, please come back tomorrow. So meanwhile, classes were going on that week, but actually it turned out that every night people came back maybe from about 9.30 till Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, maybe till about 2 o'clock in the morning. And God gave us the strength to sit there and pray. And all around there were little huddles of people praying and reconciling, getting right with each other, forgiving each other, getting rid of their the barriers that had hindered their fellowship with each other. And because I had just finished a paper on revival in that some class, I actually took notes, which is in Wheaton's archives now, um, to, and because I didn't know the names of people and not that anybody cared anyway. There was kind of a holy amnesia you forget about who shared what. It wasn't that kind of thing, like a gossip session of, oh my goodness, it was like that. There was this penetrating, cleansing power where all you really cared about is that you were right with God. And at one point, I felt prompted to get up and with permission to encourage those that were sitting there to not be spectators, to be praying for the spiritual battle that was going on. And the group grew. And so by Monday, it was about 900 students. James and Brandy had gone back to Texas, but they left a letter saying how much, how pleased they were that, that God could visit in such a way and that they were praying for us. Dr. Bulker, I might be saying his name wrong, but one of the staff there got up at one point and said, 
This is not an experience to tell your grandkids about. None of us are looking for that. This is the beginning of new obedience in our lives. And I can say for a fact, you know, people wonder if something like what I'm describing can last. I've changed. And at the same time, my heart still beats that God would visit his people again. You know, the stage became an altar during each of these nights. One of the students suggested it. And so people were bringing the things that had hindered their walk with God, prompted by others. And in fact, at one point, I think it was just Monday, that um, somebody said, how many of you don't have any accountability yet set up? And there were only like two or three hands. It had just happened naturally. People said, will you walk with me in this journey as I try to break off these bondages in my life and replace it because we were also commended and, and affirmed. You know, scriptures say, don't just get rid of the garbage. The enemy will come back sevenfold. You need to replace it with truth. And people were walking around with Bibles because it wasn't a boring experience anymore. It was a living, breathing relationship with God. I remember one student shared, got up and said, um, I was here the first night. And I said, well, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to get rid of your secular music. And he's like, God, that's a lot of money. I'm like talking thousands of dollars. And he's, God said, it's keeping you from me. So he went back to his dorm room and collected all of his secular stuff. And he thought, well, I will sell this and make some money off it. And God said, no, you get rid of that. And so just in case he would be tempted otherwise, he stopped and broke every one of those CDs and brought it in a huge bag. There were other people bringing other things, their beer or drugs or whatever it was, their magazines, the porn. And again, this is not any different than any other Christian group. One girl shared how she had resented her mom. And the next night she came back and said, I've, not, I've had a broken relationship with my mom for 12 years. And after I confessed my anger toward her, she called me. That's the kind of stuff God does in revival. Another guy spoke about his dad who was an alcoholic. And the same thing, the dad had called him, the, the, the father had shown just great disinterest in his life. But as a result of what God was doing in the supernatural and the heavenlies, his dad called him. There were five bags of credit cards and magazines and all those things that had been brought to the altar. Well, there's more stories and there were miracles and other things that God was doing. But um, by Wednesday at 2.15 a.m., the last person that wanted to get right with God publicly did. By this time, we'd moved over to the church next door uh, because there were so many people, 1,500 uh, people, actually close to 2,000 by then, by, by Thursday. And 
Um, but the last person that wanted to publicly confess could, and there had been small groups in other places where people had been doing it as well. And I think part of God's message in this is to be right before God, find that person to confess with, so you can be ready to equip the saints for when God does do a spiritual awakening like this again. Thursday night, there was a phenomenal worship time. 2,000 people gathered in the church next door. We were crammed in that place. And um, and already there were stories of students from Wheaton, just as had happened in Texas, going out to neighboring colleges. We went to Northwestern, and many of them came in for that last night. And God began working in numerous other places. From there, we went back to Minnesota, revived, my husband and I together, <laughs> and at Northwestern College there, there was a mighty work of his. My husband, we did become messengers. God allowed us to carry the message to churches and youth groups, and in almost every case, God did the same thing. Sometimes just a trickle of his spirit, and sometimes in a, in, a, in a bigger way. Again, God's people confessing their sins, repenting for a renewed obedience in their lives. We're invited to a, um, a mission project um, to share again about our ministry was the purpose of the trip. And so we were driving out there, but we had talked with the director and said our hearts are really to talk about what God's doing in revival, spiritual refreshment, spiritual awakening, whatever you want to call it. And he said, well, these are really elite students, and I really don't think that they would have any need for any of that. But if you want to share for a few minutes, I'll give you 10 minutes to talk about your ministry and 10 minutes to talk about revival. I had a hard time believing God. 10 minutes just didn't seem like the kind of time it would take to change an entire atmosphere from everybody having their walls up to becoming that incredibly real. But as I took went for a walk, they had, the forest had been burnt down on purpose, and I just prayed, Lord, as I walked through that forest, Lord, do it. I believe you. You can do anything. And sure enough, God only needed that 10 minutes. And one guy said, it's Father's Day this Sunday, and I've been struggling all week trying to figure out what kind of card to get for my dad because he was the one that introduced me to pornography, and it, I hate the journey that's taken me down on. And so he confessed his anger at his dad. And others began to speak up. We stayed up all night praying and confessing. When God comes, he often starts with the young. And people that won't try to control it by organizing it or preaching into it often stifle the movement. When God comes and visits us, we just need to be ready with hearts 
ready to do whatever it takes to get right with him. Because there's a lost and dying world. And you know, Bill Bright says, Dr. Bill Bright says, prayer is always, revival is always preceded by prayer. And it's always followed by evangelism. And we were trusting God for maybe a few people when, when we went to Wheaton to maybe go into mission work. And then we changed it as, the, as God rained on us, his spirit. We began praying for 50 and then 100. And there's a new book out there called Giving the Account of What Happened During Those Days by John Avant and an, another fellow author. And they have re-pieced it together 20 years later from 1995 till now, 2016, to follow the stories of what God did in people's lives. And I bet anything, there were hundreds of people that have gone into missions as a result. In churches, there would be like, people knew there would be a feud between people. And as the story of revival spread and was just simply shared the same way, they would get up in front and reconcile with each other. My husband and I were able to share it, the same story of God's work in numerous places, including with Campus Crusade for Christ. And a day or so later, Nancy Lee DeMoss came and spoke on brokenness. And her list of brokenness versus pride is penetrating. And there among us missionaries, about 4,000 of us in Colorado, God began to move again. A very silent, quiet, repentant, sometimes publicly, sometimes in individually, in small groups, for several days where they set aside the conference plan and met with God. And let me tell you, there's nothing like worship, like that Thursday night at Wheaton College when the last person had confessed, or even among our staff. There's no worship like a cleansed bride of Christ. So the question you might ask is, can God do it again? Absolutely. It starts with people praying. Gather a small group. Ask him and tell him that you're willing to have him start with yourself. God is doing amazing things through things like Revive Indiana. Look it up. Thousands gathered every day for 57 days to worship and share their faith. Unbelievable. That was just last year, 2015. Decision America, Franklin Graham. I went to the one here in Tennessee at our capital in Nashville. 8,600 people there just saying, unless God revives us, who do we have to go who do we have to go to? We see it in individual lives as we guide them through the steps to freedom in Christ. There are so many young people especially that are just jaded today. So much is accessible to them in their fingertips that keeps them from really loving God wholeheartedly. And I confess, I get distracted too. There's so much available that makes me I choose to 
to forget my first love. And yet we get to guide other people through a process of repentance to replace those lies with truth. So my challenge is don't give up, don't give in. Pray, pray hard, pray together in groups. God does something special in concerted, united prayer. Um, At the end of this podcast, you'll see some resources that I recommend, um, including even Victory Over the Darkness, which helps people know who they are in Christ, and the bondage breaker to to really break off the bondages. Dr. Neil Anderson's heart is that as revival spreads wide, that would also go deep, and that it won't be just an experience, but we will have changed lives, renewed obedience to the one true God. Thanks. Let me pray. Jesus, I'd ask that you take Um, the story that I presented as for what it is as inadequate as I am to cause your revival power to break us and come visit us again not because of us we're the needy ones but because of you for your glory for the sake of the gospel and the nations Amen. Next time on Long Story Short Podcast but I felt like I was on a treadmill. And when you're on a treadmill, you can turn the treadmill up to eight miles an hour, nine miles, 10 miles an hour. You can run for an hour and you're huffing and puffing and you're sweaty and you turn it off and you look around, treadmill stops, you look around and you're the same place. That's kind of how I felt about my life. And so it's like, where is this all going? and uh, prayed vigorously for five years that God would use me more. And uh, it just was a time of dryness, no answers. And uh, you start to get ready for your answer after five years and your anticipation grows. Thanks again for listening online. All the podcasts are on the longstoryshortpodcast.com page. And thanks for listening offline on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, and Google Play. These are apps for mobile and tablet devices. You'll find subscription links to those services on the longstoryshortpodcast.com in the right-hand index under subscribe. And thanks for liking, sharing, and favoriting and following on Facebook and Twitter. You'll find links to our Facebook and Twitter also on the longstoryshortpodcast.com page. 
We hope you'll tune in again and see you next time. Bye-bye.